It was about May 1944, and Mr. Wilde called Joyce Clark and I over to his desk and said, uh, you two are being posted to Ottawa, and we both were devastated because nobody really wanted to be posted to Ottawa. And um, then he started to laugh, and he said, it's only for two weeks. It's a Met course. So that sounded kind of okay to us, you know. That meant a nice train ride to Montreal, and the trains were wonderful to travel on in those days. I mean, I think I told you before that the girls had compartments, so that meant that Joyce and I would have a compartment. And dining rooms had white tablecloths and silver and real china, and we ordered off regular menus and had the most beautiful meals three times a day with stewards serving us with white coats and, you know. Anyway, we got to uh, Montreal and we spent overnight in Montreal. When we got to Montreal, we grabbed a cab and we were going to stay at the Y House. And we asked the cabbie to take us to such and such a number on Ontario Street. And he turned around and looked at us in a strange way and said, are you sure you mean Ontario Street? And we said, yes, it's the Y, isn't it? And he said, you mean Ontario Avenue. All right. So we went to Ontario Avenue, and it is right behind the big art museum off Sherbrooke Street, a lovely part of Montreal. We found out afterwards that where we were directing him to was the worst red light district in Montreal. <laughs> And it's a good thing that he stopped us from going there. But anyway, we arrived in um, Ottawa, and it was very hot. We were assigned our bunks, and nothing special happened that night. The next morning, we marched all the way down the hill, and it was a long march. Um, and there were only about 40 of us, I think, from stations all over Canada. And I think, I believe Clarky and I were the only two from Eastern Air Command. I know we were the only two. And uh, I was sick. I really felt terrible. I had wakened up in the night with an awful headache. I can't remember ever having a headache like that before or since. And feeling sick and thinking, well, you know, it was a train, long train ride and then, you know, we kind of, stayed up and walked all over Montreal and saw as much of it. I just thought it was fatigue. Anyway, we got to class and we sat at desks and I fell asleep within half an hour of the class. I mean, I, I felt my head bump on the desk and I got it up again. I couldn't hold it up. I couldn't stay awake. I hadn't had any breakfast. I remember going for breakfast and I just didn't want to eat. And so the officer who was giving the course said to Clarkie, I think you better take her down to sick bay. So march all the way down the hill again. And we got to the barrack block where we lived and only one room was a sick bay where you reported each morning at eight o'clock if you were sick. And we sat in there and we waited and waited and finally a medical clerk came by and we told her, Clarkie told her that I was sick and I was just, I didn't think I was going to live. <laughs> and um, 
so they sent a nursing sister in to see me. And of course, as soon as she walked in the room, I tried to stand up and I couldn't. You know, you stand up for an officer when she comes in. She said to me, sick parade is at 8 a.m. And this was now about 9.30 or 10 o'clock. I went to stand up to, you know, salute her sort of. I wasn't saluting her, but to honor her. And I passed out cold. And I don't remember a thing until the next day. And when I woke up the next day, I was in isolation room, just two beds. And they kept coming in to take my temperature and taking my temperature. And finally, the nursing sister came in and she said she would take my temperature. She did. She took it in every possible way, starting with the mouth. <laughs> and she couldn't believe it. She said, she's really sick. And my temperature at that time was 104. And they couldn't figure out what it was, but they did do a throat swab. And within about three or four days, there was a terrible epidemic on that station of strep throat. And strep throat was a killer in those days. You know, they were just starting to get penicillin. So I had penicillin and in about two weeks, I was well enough to walk down to the dining room and eat properly. Then I took it again, and I had three recurrences of it while I was there. They did put another girl in the room with me when they realized that I wasn't contagious anymore. And uh, the nursing sister came in to have a talk with me, and she said, I'm putting a lady and w, another WD in with you who is suffering from depression. And you're a cheerful person, and we're hoping that you can help her. So that wasn't very exciting to be there, to be sick. I mean, but we spent a lot of time outside, and I got sunburned and sunburned, and it was hot. Six weeks we had with not a drop of rain, and you could hear the cicadas at night just the same as you can in the Caribbean, but it was that hot. Anyway, when I finally was discharged from the hospital, they said, now you're going on sick leave, two weeks. And I thought, gee, this is a piece of cake. I'm in service. I haven't done anything for six weeks except almost die. And now I'm going home for two weeks. And I didn't tell my mother I was coming. I just, I went. Oh, I had money. I had a lot of money coming now because I hadn't spent anything. And I went downtown to get the train. Um, and the train station is right across from the Parliament Buildings. It's something place different now. It's a convention center, I think. And um, I had money to go shopping, and I went and bought a two-piece white satin bathing suit. And I thought I really had something. And it was. I mean, two-piece bathing suits were only seen in the movies then. And these had just been shipped in. Anyway, when I remember that I took a taxi. I had enough money to take a taxi from the train station. And when we got to Home Street where we lived, my mother was scrubbing the front steps. She was always scrubbing those Tindallstone steps. And I... It's a wonder to me she didn't die of a heart attack when she saw me step out of the taxi. 
So I was home for two weeks, and I had a wonderful time. I went to Eaton's um, service canteen almost every night and had a really nice holiday and a nice time and recuperated, you know. When I went back to Halifax, they, they used to post daily records every day on a little bulletin board in our BR room. And it would be maybe four or five long sheets of paper, but and most of it was nonsense stuff about parades and pay parade would be such and such a time and, and all the postings. And you always read the postings because sometimes that's how you found out you were going to Newfoundland or someplace. And I almost fell over. Here it was, L-A-W Martin I-G promoted to corporal. And I went over to Mr. Wilde and I said, you didn't tell me that. And he said, I knew that you read those every day. And I thought it was kind of a nice way for you to find out. And I said, well, I'm really happy about that. Thank you very much. Clarkie and I had both been promoted, but she was wearing her hooks when I came back because she had only had the two weeks and then had gone back to work. And I said, uh, why am I getting corporal hooks? You know, I mean, there are girls working with me who have university educations. And he said, well, that's why I sent you on the MET course, because you would now have a MET course. And I would add that to it, and that would make you eligible. And I said, but I didn't finish it. I only, I mean, I only had about half an hour of it. And he said, Martin, you're smart enough. You would have passed it. And that's, you can see why I liked him so much. But anyway, when we came back, I thought, I expected to go back to Y Depot, which is where, you know, the men were all on their way overseas. And, and it was a very dreary station, that Y Depot, way out. You know, I think I told you a long way out on the um, streetcar. They had moved the air women off that station, about 200 of us, about 160 air women and NCOs, and 30 or 40 sergeants were in a separate building. What they had done is they had taken the corner of a beautiful golf course that was just up the hill from Eastern Air Command where we could walk back and forth, except they would have us in the trucks at midnight. They wouldn't let you walk on the streets at midnight alone. Um, and there were only four buildings, and they were brand new, and there were only half as many girls in a room in a dormitory as there had been. And there was a corporal in charge of each room, and the corporal who was in charge of the room that I was in was Mary Cuby, that I had worked with, and she had been promoted to sergeant but she was staying there till I got there because I was going to be the corporal in charge. But she was really neat. She had made friends with the chef and she'd conned him into giving her all the empty apple boxes that he got. And they were wooden apple boxes. And she'd made at the foot of each double bunk, she'd put two apple boxes together She'd collected from the girls, she didn't take very much, and she found a bargain place and she bought colored chintz and she'd put frills around them and tops on them. And so that's where we kept her shoes and her shoe cleaning 
stuff and we really had a very nice room. Oh, and we even had curtains. And we were the only room in, out of the one, two, three, four, eight rooms in that building that had that. We were really pretty proud of that room. I was really proud of it when I got to be in charge of it. And then that was one building where the air women were. The other, there was another building that was um, for the sergeants and it was an H hut also. On one side was sergeants and on the other side was a sergeant's mess. And the sergeant's mess was really quite spiffy, I heard. Mary told me that it was all brand new furniture and a new piano and a bar and a steward and very nice, you know. And oh, that build that wing was in half, half for officers and half for sergeants. But there were only about six officers and two of them would be nursing sisters. That was one building for air women and then that building I've just told you about. Then the other building was the dining hall and the dining hall, I couldn't believe it when I walked in. I was used to great big long tables and having to carry your own cutlery and dunk it in uh, antiseptic water as you walked out and shake it off and put it back in your pocket and take it back to barracks. These were tables for four or six. Nice tables with matching chairs and they had little vases in the middle with artificial flowers. And we had beautiful meals, not anything like we had before, especially if you came off duty at midnight the chefs or the cooks in the kitchen would always make you something really special if you were for the girls coming off and going on at midnight. And sometimes they'd make us a treat, like on a Saturday, they'd give us something extra like cheese and bacon snacks and French fries and, you know, things you never get anywhere else. Um, one time on one special occasion, I don't remember what day it was, it wouldn't be Christmas or anything, we had baked Alaska. I'd never had baked Alaska in my whole life. And the men in the kitchen made potato champagne. And every once in a while when they got an extra good batch, they'd ask a couple of us if we wanted to hang around behind the girls from Ops usually, and they knew who we were, Ops and wireless girls. and stick around you know if you're just coming off midnight and we'll give you a nightcap and they sit around and give us a nightcap and most of the men working in the kitchen were drafted from Quebec and they all told us that they were from Paris every one of them was from Paris and we believed them <laughs> you know I don't know why we were so naive but they spoke with a very French accent and you know but anyway, that was really quite something to be at Gorsebrook. And I had a guardhouse with um, a girl on duty most of the time that I knew and still was friends with when I came back to Winnipeg. And there also, of course, was a sneak place to get in and out. <laughs> um, if you were... Uh, Below the rank of corporal, you had to be in at 10 o'clock at night. Corporals could stay out till 12. 
And once in a while, you would get a pass till 2 a.m., but you had to apply for the pass, and you had to have a very good reason. And usually the reason I would give, and it would be true, would be that I would be going to the dance at the naval barracks, and it was a long way away, and there would be no streetcars running, and I'd be walked back. And usually by two or three guys would walk with you. They didn't mind. We walked shortcut it across, but it took a long time. The dance would be over at 12, and it would take us a long, long time to walk, and we'd stop halfway in a park and sit on a park bench and have a smoke and shoot the breeze for a while, and, you know. But that was really something, to be able to get a 2 o'clock pass. Many times when we got off at midnight, we would go out for coffee to the Chinese restaurants and then come back and sneak in through the... This one house had a backyard that had a, this big fence with barbed wire on the top. And the people in there must... Well, they knew that there was a hole in their fence and that the air women were sneaking in and out of there. The thing I... While I'm telling you this, in case you get the idea that we were doing bad things... The girls in, in the Air Force were very straight-laced. The girls from the Maritimes particularly. If they thought you weren't behaving or that you were had been drinking and came in and fell against anything, they really gave you heck. I mean, and modesty was very important. I mean, you just, when you were getting dressed or undressed, you'd either go into a toilet stall or... You'd be in the dark. Um, and I never heard anybody swear either. They were uh, very, very strict. And we had one girl who walked once from, she'd had a shower and she had her towel over her shoulder and she walked from the shower without clothes on back to her bunk. And they had a petition in the room and that's I was the corporal and they asked me to sign it and I did um asking to have her moved from our room please it was embarrassing to have a girl walk around naked she had no qualms about it she didn't care I don't think she liked being in that room it was too straight-laced 